You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to another Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths. Joining me, as always, Mike Chappell, Joe Hopkins, ready to break down our next segment of uh, horseshoe positional off-season discussion uh, in this episode. But plenty of other stuff going on as well. Um, our focus today will be the Colts offensive line, which certainly doesn't have the same luster, I guess, as the quarterback that we had last week, guys. But uh, as I think anybody in Indianapolis knows, if you don't have an offensive line, you, you don't have a, a quarterback or at least a quarterback that's going to stay past year eight or nine. Uh, and, and he might retire uh, during preseason game number three. So, it, it, like I said, it, we're, we're not talking about Carson Wentz, Joe, this week, but uh, still, nevertheless, we got to keep whoever that quarterback is upright. So this offensive line discussion is just as important as any of them. Well, we've seen when the offensive line goes, the offense completely falls apart. Yep. Uh, look no further than Week 18. Nobody wants to look past back to Week 18. So so let, let's not. We agree? Well, you brought up Locke, I did. So I well, like I Aaron Rodgers, I've cleansed that from my body. Oh, <laughs> did you read all about his cleansing like procedures somebody posted about what the, all these things are? I, I don't you know. That's, <laughs> let's not go down this rabbit hole too deeply, but that's, that's basically seven pre-colonoscopy procedures. We're, we're not even a minute into the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We're already talking about Aaron Rodgers' colonoscopy procedures. This is, this is going to be a fantastic one. Uh, we will also provide an update on the NFL Combine coming to Indianapolis next week, which we'll talk about mostly next week, but um, we'll touch on it a bit right now. We first start with the news uh, around the league and really the news surrounding the Colts this week. Just a couple of uh, couple notes to, that are worth discussion. Uh, number one is the uh, the Horseshoes are bringing back a familiar face or two. One in the coaching staff, a former linebacker, Cato June, uh, for the Colts, is now going to be an assistant linebacker's coach under Gus Bradley. Uh, Cato June made the Pro Bowl in 2005. He was starter for the 2006 Super Bowl championship team. Uh, Chap June has been a college uh, coach for, for some time. Before that, I think he might have even been a high school coach, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so this is kind of the career path he has been on for a while. Um, from from your time here with, with Cato June, both discussing him and, I guess, since then, what, what are your impressions of him and his uh, pedigree as a coach, and what do you think he brings on that side of the ball? He was uh... – he was the playmaking linebacker before Darius Leonard. He had the one this Pro Bowl year, I think it was in 2005, he had five interceptions, returned two for touchdowns. And he was he was one of those guys that just fit in Dungey's defense where he wouldn't have fit elsewhere. He was a college safety. And he came here and played outside linebacker. And good duty, really was. And uh, I remember I... Talked to Cato one time about his career here, and we were doing something on the best game he ever had, or the best game he remembered. And at one point, I mentioned to him, "You know, you were here for four years. His worst record was twelve and four. Yeah, I mean, he was he was three twelve and fours and a fourteen and two. So, so he he was in the middle of what's not natural as far as that. But uh, again, I talked to him too because his his first coaching job outside of football was his high school in D.C. Anacostia, I think it is. But he's been building there. He he was a Colts intern, I think it was in 18, 2018, in training camp. So he's been building towards this. They've got other lines in, in, in the water on, on coaches, possibilities, another name type of guy. So we'll see how this, this coaching staff on both sides kind of plays out. Yeah, it's still being formed here, uh, here and there. And the guys are still coming in right now, which... 
I mean, ideally, you you want everybody down and in the building as soon as possible. But nevertheless, it's something that does probably take by a, the con. Yeah, I think by, by the combine, so I would you, think you can so. take your position guys. Yeah. To their position drills. I mean, you know, this isn't brain surgery. Right, and that's just next week. It's the combine. Right. So, and after that, of course, is all, all the pro days. You definitely need somebody by all these pro days so you can get people in buildings and looking at tapes and, and seeing exactly what you got out there and talking free agents like we are. Like, it, it, we say the NFL offseason, like like always, but it, it, it's still something that's relevant every week. And uh, Joe, chap touched on it, but um, uh, the, uh, the kind of comparison between Cato June and Darius Leonard is the playmaking linebacker in the group. That's something Robert Mathis posted on Twitter about. He, I think a uh, big shot Bob there is a really, uh, really excited about the prospect of getting Cato June back. Maybe because he thinks former players on the staff that he, he might uh, be there someday, but we, we, I think we've discussed that a bit on his, on this show. Anyway, might have but his chances it, a little bit. Exactly. But, but nevertheless, uh, see the, see the old, the old guard coming back is, um, is something that at least for now, before you see any results on the field, that at least gets a little bit of the excitement going from from the folks who saw those 12 and 4, 14 and 2 years over and over and over again. Cato June has some of that success. Hope he brings it to Indy in, in the coming years. Absolutely. I mean, most assistant linebacker coaches, people wouldn't be able to name. No. And if you name no. them, you'd say who. But yeah. just knowing a guy like Cato June um, uh, brings a bit of an ex- excitement. And Mathis uh, said to expect even more turnovers. From Darius Leonard, which I don't know how it was possible, but I'm all for it. We'll see. It's funny that. you talk about an assistant linebacker coach, and it's sort of this, the first step in a career. I remember looking at Gus Bradley's resume, and the first place he was at, and it escapes me, but he had like four positions. Hmm. Offensive line, tight ends, special teams. So w- when you're entering the NFL, that this is how you do it. This is the first step, and we'll see where it takes him. The Colts have also re-signed cornerback Marvell Tell, fifth-round pick in the 2019 draft out of USC. He was a safety for the Trojans. The Colts have been trying to make him a cornerback. He played in 13 games as a rookie. I thought showed some promise that year, but then he opted out of the 2020 season, as some players did, and he was waived before the start of the 2021 season. I'm not going to speculate as to why. Who knows how ready he was um, coming back from 2020. But Tell is going to be a 26 by the start of next season. There's been a couple of lost seasons now, and chap, when you're trying to make a position change from safety to cornerback, I don't know if this is the best sign in the world. We'll see. Like right now, you can throw people on the roster, and it doesn't really matter too much. A guy like Marvell Tell is just a familiar name in the past because we've seen him in the past year. But I'm not putting a lot of stock into this being something that's a significant move. If it is, then fantastic. That's awesome. Then he gets some playing time, and hopefully he shows some good signs. But nevertheless, uh, right now, a whole lot more from Marvell Tell to prove to make the 53-man roster. This is just them, the Colts, putting someone with a familiar name on their roster for right now. They've made a lot of moves already. Yeah. And, and until they start extending or cutting or whatever, you, you have a 90-player roster. So you're bringing in players to fill out the roster, and then you're going to shake and see how things go. They brought in another kicker last week, and I couldn't be- begin to tell you his name. More competition for Hot Rod, Joe. <laughs> He's ready. All or, right. or, or Badgley. So, so a, a, again, it's... What what they're doing now is they're they're just trying to fill positions with with players and names and this is the guy they know so it, it, it's it's nothing venture type of thing but that that's what teams do this time of year. Well, less than a week before the NFL Combine comes to Indianapolis, uh, the Combine's bubble has been busted. A group of about one hundred bursted, bursted, burst, busted. I don't know. Maybe burst is the uh, okay. correct uh, English uh, for it. You're you're the writer. You should know. I always do. You know, I always kind of check yeah. those things. Or if I don't understand it, I just use another word. Right. Group I think of you can both burst and bust a bubble. 
It's fine with me. <laughs> I, I'm just going to move on. A group of 150 <laughs> players threatened to boycott workouts and interviews at the Combine over their strict COVID protocols, including a certain bubble that would keep prospects from interacting with their personal trainers, doctors, nutritionists, and agents while in Indianapolis. Uh, this has been uh, a, an evolving issue, I guess, at the Combine for the past couple years, because two years ago is before everything went down, and it was really one of the last things that in February of 2020, before the world shut down in March they, of they 2020. They just got under the wire. They did. They just snuck everything in. Last year was a very much a cut-down version uh, of things, especially when it comes to access to players. This year, chap, as things are opening up some more, uh, the players certainly made it very obvious. The players and their agents, I think, which, which certainly had a big hand in this with the recommendations about what to have and uh, have access to to your whole, quote-unquote, team of help, They their voices were very clear that they did not want much part of a limited NFL combine. They wanted it to be more open for them to their players to have more access to their team of people to keep them healthy, keep them at their pinnacle of of athletic ability because that's what the combine's all about. It's about putting your best foot forward. And you can, you can certainly say that the, the dangers of catching COVID, I guess would be more if it's more open, but the players, I guess I would imagine they're taking that into account thinking that I got to, I got to show out here. And what I do on this turf here at Lucas oil stadium is the difference between not getting drafted and getting drafted is the difference between drafting the fifth round or drafting in the third round, you know? So, so they took, they're taking the, they're taking that as much more important to them right now than, I guess, all the possible precautions that you could possibly have and limiting things down uh, because of uh, two years into a pandemic where we are right now. If I remember what it was going to be was you could only have, was it, did you have zero access to one of your support staff or maybe it was one? I think it was like one person One, one you person, so your nutritionist, your psychologist, your, your, your weight person, whatever. But now I think you can still only have one person in the building. Right. But you can go outside and go wherever they're wherever they're set up. Right. And it, it's kind of crazy. It's this is one where the NFL wants it both ways. That they, they want to sort of control, have as much control as possible, which I understand. But at the same time, th- this is a player's biggest job interview. Mm-hmm. So I understand them wanting to do everything possible because you know. If if a team says, well, you know, we we don't really rely too much on workouts. How many times do you see guys how, how it's that they're forty time? You're graded down because he only ran this or whatever, or only so many reps in the bench press. So I understand players wanting to maximize this, and it it was good to see how the the combine folks in in actuality the league didn't change the the bubble policy, the combine, Jeff Foster and his, and his combine who run the combine did, but NFL has some influence because they've turned this into a made for TV show with, with showing, which Joe will know this more than anybody, how they show the workouts on in primetime. And can you imagine if 150 of the, of the 300 and some players boycotted the workouts and it would have been some of the top guys. So, I think the league sort of stepped in and said, hey, listen, we need to get this resolved. And, oh, by the way, there's going to be 10,000 people in the stands each day. So let's not really go overboard on COVID protocol. 
when, when the league didn't do that at the end of last season. Joe, I think it's perfectly understandable for all these players, as Chap was saying, to if they're if they're in the most important job interview of their life, to want as much access to as much help as possible, uh, and so that they can indeed perform at their best this week. Yeah, I mean, the combine has a huge influence on people's uh, or players' draft status. A guy we're going to talk about in a little bit. Orlando Brown, he had a terrible workout at the Combine. Potential first-round pick, uh, offensive tackle, fell to the third round um, largely because of it. And now he's a guy who's probably going to make $20 million a year and is a stud player. So uh, any, any anyone who says Combine workouts don't matter, it's all about the tape, well, they matter to evaluators and to teams. Well, if I had – if I and I've always said this. If you prioritize the Combine, it's medical is one, over-the-top one mm-hmm. – Face-to-face interviews is two, and then workouts three. But I'm like, Joe, don't tell me they don't. The workouts don't matter. They do, but uh, in the evaluation prizes, I would put a guy's college tape three, and the workout four. Mm-hmm. But what the league's trying has always tried to get away from, and they never will, is they're trying to minimize how many pro days you have to go to because you want these guys here in a level playing field. If I'm a quarterback. I don't want to throw at the combine because I'm throwing to somebody from, you know, West Virginia or, or Appalachian State or Miami, not my guys. Well, in, in, in my pro day, I'm controlling it. So if you're a, a good GM and your personnel staff, you, you take all this into, into account. You understand why a guy maybe was off a little bit at the combine throwing or whatever, and then he was off the charts at his pro day. Well, really? I mean, th- that's his home field. So it, it's got value. Uh, it's just got to see. You got to see who wants to have main control, and, and when push comes to shove, NFL is going to have control. Well, this could be the last NFL Combine held in Indianapolis for a while. It's been here for quite some time, um, but 35, 35, 35 years. Yeah, so like almost as long as the Colts have been in Indianapolis, right here, very close to it. Um, Dallas, Los Angeles, and Indy have put in bids for the twenty twenty three Combine. Chap, it's it's all but assured that the combine is going to rotate uh, in spite of Indianapolis being what it is over the past 35 years and being a, uh, a, a an ideal space for it um, with the NFL wanting control and wanting control over the show of the combine and the marketability of the combine. It just made sense for a while that this was going to happen. The more it grew. And now that uh, the, India's reached the end of a contract with them. This is the time for them to, to try to expand and go elsewhere. It, it flies in the face of all common sense. And if you, if you surveyed 32 GMs, it would be 28 to 4 in favor of staying here because it simply works. But it's worked so well that, they, that the league wants to take it on the road. They're trying to compare this, the league, the marketing arm of the league, they're trying to compare this to taking the draft on the road. It's not the same. It, it's not even remotely the same. Uh, so, but, but you know, what the NFL wants, the NFL gets. The NFL wanted Thursday night football. We got Thursday night football. They wanted 17 games. So, so what's, what's basically going to happen is you have to have your bids in, rebid, I guess. The bids were cut down to three, L.A., Dallas, and Indy. And you have to have another bid in or the final bid in April 1st. And then the decision's got to be made. And I've talked to some people involved with this, and their concern is the NFL doesn't know what it's getting into until it gets into it. Right. 
So it, it works well here because it's worked here for, for over three decades, and they've got the pieces, the mechanisms in place. And by the way, they've got IU Health within a 10-minute shuttle for anything you have to have. And if in L.A. or Dallas, I don't know that that's a setup, but I'm under the impression that let's say it's in L.A. next year, that they've really done nothing to prepare for it because they don't know they're going to get it. So it's maybe it's here next year with people from L.A. or Dallas, whoever gets it next, can come and actually see what this thing goes to because the last thing you want to do is to kind of go cold turkey to a new city and find out, oh, we didn't know we had to take care of this or that or whatever. Uh, so so we'll see. But, again, talking to Jeff, Jeff Foster over the years, they've done such a good – you know, they, they've created a monster that now the league wants to let loose. And that's what's going to happen. Again, they, it's for so many years, we didn't even have access to workouts. Mm-hmm. Like 10 years ago or whatever, maybe longer we finally got writers from the pro football writers to go a handful of us to watch the throwing drills. And then the last few years, they've had more and more fans get in. And now there, there can be 10,000 people for free (laughs) in the stadium to watch these workouts. Joe, you can go down there and just sit there and get you a beer and some popcorn. And you didn't tell me there'd be beer. (laughs) I was told, I think the concessions will be open. So, with 10,000 people in there, you would certainly expect so. And yeah. they're going to be like lower level. It's not going to be up in the air. They're going to be down below. So it, it's that compromise that the, the combine is trying to say, but this is what we do, and the league says, well, this is what we want. What I've never understood, though, is other than the fan experience, when you take it on the road, I just don't know what you're getting out of it other than a different section of 10,000 people can go. But, again, the league gets what the league wants. Yeah. Joe, are you excited to have 10,000 people there at Lucas Oil Stadium for some of these events? Eh, I don't really care about the, the fans there as much as I do the players of working course. out and getting to find out, you know, exactly is this guy actually 6'4", like his college says he is, or is he 6'2"? Is, you know, does this offensive lineman have 34-inch arms or stumpy 32-inch arms? <laughs> all those small things make a difference, so I can't wait to see all that, let alone the 40 times, and... uh. Uh, there's a lot of fun positions for the Colts to watch this year. Positions like wide receivers, tight ends. Um, the combine isn't as big for the quarterbacks, at least not their on-field workouts. But that'll uh, be the one that draws the crowd the most, I think, the throwing drills. Yeah, the, th- the throwing drills are always interesting to see. But like Dave was kind of explaining, at the combine they carry less weight just because evaluators know they're throwing the guys that they're right. not used to throwing to. Also with that, like even this year, with there is no defined number one quarterback, I think people might be more interested to try to dive. At least the the people who are who are big football fans will watch. It might not attract the the common man's eye, quote unquote. But for 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 especially for evaluators who have quarterback needs, man, there there are going to be eyes all over the guys at the draft at the combine who will be there. Well, and with you know we've seen running quarterbacks, mobile quarterbacks, really take over the league the last several years. So all of a sudden, the forty yard dash and things like the three cone mean a little bit more for quarterback position. Good point. Let's get into the offensive line. Uh, it's our latest in our run through the Colts position by position this offseason, recapping uh, what happened last year, where they currently sit this year, and what could their option be this offseason uh, to uh, to attack changes and differences that need to happen from year to year. And uh, this is, it, this goes along with 
uh, something that that Mike has said in in podcasts past. But the the Colts' positions of need this offseason mirror their positions of need from last offseason. Unfortunately, they do. And that means that what you did last year didn't completely work, or at least it didn't work long term. And I want to be or, very clear with that. Or it's not worked yet. Right. Or it's with not the worked edge pass yet. Rush. Yes. Yes. That's a great point because you could have brought in guys and they're just not there yet. So, yes. Thank you for clarifying. Anyway, with the offensive line, the Colts have a projected $37 million in salary cap. Um, and their offensive line set to become free agents starts with left tackle Eric Fisher who was kind of the big get last year, last offseason. Anthony Costanzo retires. You need something at left tackle. The Colts signed Eric Fisher. And that was something that happened a little bit later uh, in the uh, into the either late spring or early summer. I remember we got through the draft, and we are still like, who's, who's the left, left tackle, tackle? going? Yeah, exactly. It was going to be Sam Tevy or uh, Julian Davenport. Julian Davenport, which yeah. wasn't. Which neither of them Thank worked. God. No, yeah. At the end of the year, it was two different guys. It was, yeah, it was Fisher. It was Pryor, really, were the, were the two options there. At left tackle. Yeah, because they, they traded for Pryor in, in first of September. They did, yeah. Right at the start there to, to add some depth. That was after Sam Tevy went out for, for the season with his ACL. They needed somebody there. So got a guy like, maybe this guy. And it actually wasn't terrible. So props to that. Anyway, uh, Eric Fisher has nine years in the NFL. One of them with the Colts. Um, started 15 games with them last year, which was more than I thought he was going to start, probably. Um, maybe more than he should have. Maybe more than he should have. I think he came back too soon. That is a very easy argument, I think, to make because you saw him last year, Joe, and he certainly was not the Pro Bowl caliber left tackle that he was the year before with Kansas City. No, especially not in pass protection. Now, he was pretty good run blocking. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say he was above average run blocking and below average in pass protection, especially with those speed rushers where you could tell he just didn't seem to have his quickness back yet. Um, it, it, it's going to be a real interesting predicament resigning him. He's not going to be able. You're not going to be able to resign him for the same money per year as they did in 2021. He was coming off the Achilles. You didn't know how many games he was going to play. What was it one year eight million? One year eight bit, million. Yeah. Um, I think one of your stories said they ended the cap, overall cap hit ended up being six point four nine. Okay, so he million. didn't maybe he didn't max out whatever whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe he didn't max out the contract there, but. Pro Football Focus has projected a contract three years with an average of $16 million per year. So, you know, over double what the Colts paid him last season. Yeah. So if the Colts do bring him back, um, it's certainly going to cost them more, and they're certainly going to expect more out of him uh, further away from his injury. Well, if they bring him back, it won't be for that. No, no, I don't think so. so. And maybe they'll get a hometown discount. Maybe Eric Fisher liked being with the Colts. He wants to stay with the Colts. I, I I don't know. That's all speculation, but we can uh, talk about that when we get into the free agent options. I I think if I had to if I had to make a prediction right now, I say he's their left tackle in twenty twenty two, but not for three years, forty eight million or whatever it would be. I think the deadline. Let me check here. Um, the deadline for the franchise tag is March eighth. He the Colts haven't franchised a player in a little while. This might be a you know legitimate franchise option if they can't come to terms on a contract that they like. You would get I think it's like seventeen or eighteen million dollars is the the franchise tag number for offensive linemen. I think it was about yeah. I think it was yeah. eighteen. Yeah. 
So I think I saw that this week. Would that be tough to do? It would be. Yeah, I but think it'd it would be, be for the one year, whereas maybe he'd want to go somewhere and get a multi-year yep. deal for something close to 18. Still keep band-aiding it and don't, don't want to keep band-aiding that oh, and we, and we, we talked to Chris Ballard in January, and he said, what was it? He said, the left tackle is what the left tackle is, which yeah. is... Whatever, <laughs> whatever a general manager says that about a position, that's not a good sign. No. And he said, we'd like a long-term answer, but if we have to short-term it again, we will. And I, I just think if... If Fisher's the guy, if they franchise him, Joe, I, I'd never had. I didn't think of that because I thought, I thought no. Yeah, but I thought maybe one year, ten million, and prove it type of thing. But the fact that he's at a premium position, and teams overpay for premium positions, maybe someone does offer him more, and if he gets a, a multi-year deal from somewhere else. It will be for decent money because he's a left tackle. Mm-hmm. I, for, for me, just from watching him last year, I, I don't know if I would want to give him a three-year deal because, like you said, the, the pass blocking just wasn't there. And is there a good chance that's because of his Achilles wasn't there? Yeah, I think that's a, there's a good chance, but I just don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just not right. Maybe he can't get right. He's 30-plus now. I mean, you see offensive tackles go until they're mid to upper 30s. Like, so he could have five or six good years left, but not all of them do. Some of them are done earlier. So that'd be a big, big ask for me if I'm Chris Bauer to give a three-year contract to Eric Fisher, in my opinion. But I think he still, what was one thing he told us at the end of his press conference is Fisher still has a lot of good years in him. That's what he thinks, yes. So I I think their idea is, and again, price will, will drive everything, is that He's going to be another year removed from the Achilles, and he he'll he'll have an off season. He'll have a training camp, which he had none of that this past year. So it's that he will be back to where he was. But boy, if I'm the Colts, if I'm anybody, whatever I give him, it's still a it's basically a one year deal. And if, if there's two other years on it, that's funny money that goes away. But the first year is all I could really convince myself. To invest in him and what what the investment is, that's open for discussion. And maybe this is a player where they offer him a deal they're comfortable with, and if he wants more and tests the market, they allow him to Denico do so. Autry. They sort they sort of set a level at Denico Autry, and he went elsewhere. He went elsewhere. I think they did something similar with Rhodes, and he came back. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, other positions on the offensive line that uh, are will be free agents this offseason, other players, uh, guards Mark Lewinsky and Chris Reed, which were a bit of a platoon at times at the uh, starting right guard position on the Colts offensive line. It had been Mark Lewinsky's for some time, but uh, Chris Reed came in as a, a uh, free agent just this past year. Both of these guys the same age, going to be 30 years old as the season begins, uh, six, seven years in the NFL. Um, and, and Reed played very well when he had to fill in for Glowinski. And then when Glowinski got healthy, they kind of went back and forth a little bit. I think Glowinski kind of took back over by the end of the year. If I'm not mistaken, I think there was a time that it was kind of back and forth. And then it was really more so Glowinski there, um, down, down the stretch. But, uh, nevertheless, those two guys, when you look at both of them, I think both of them prove that they can be starting guards in the NFL. So, the, the question you posed to Chris Ballard is, with your salary cap, with your still needs in other positions, whether it's left tackle or we've already talked about defensive end, we talk quarterback, 
um, at wide receiver as well, pass catcher. Like, how much do you want to invest in your offensive line that you've already heavily, heavily, heavily invested in with Ryan Kelly, with Braden Smith, and you're going to invest even more in we all anticipate in Quentin Nelson's new contract? I don't know. If, uh, it, it's, it seems unlikely to me that they would re-sign both of these guys. So they would have two, and so they would have really three caliber starting guards on their roster, including Quentin Nelson, and you're paying three caliber starting caliber guards on your roster when yeah. you have that money to spend elsewhere Joe. And maybe you could make it four if you consider danny pinter starting yeah, caliber guard they're not well. paying him yet though that's the thing no, so it's on no. his rookie year for the new rookie deal for two more which years. is an option maybe they yeah. I, I think they like having the depth on the offensive line that's something they didn't have in Absolutely. 2020 they did have in 2021 and it came up big for them um so i would assume that they bring one of these guards back um, and just based on all the money you've already said the Colts have tied up in the offensive line, not even to mention what they do at left tackle, uh, I'm kind of just going to lean that they go with whoever is cheaper between Chris Reed and Mark Lewinsky. If I, I think if they had their druthers and you take money mm-hmm. out of it, they want Lewinsky back. I think he's the better player. And, again, there was a spot midseason or late season where they, they made Chris Reed the starter, and it lasted like one game. I, I think it was they, like San Francisco I, game. It may have been. It may have been. So I, I think Glowinski is a better player, and he'll be the more expensive player. What you said, the projection is three years, eighteen million, roughly, and that's I think what they what they gave him an extension several years ago. So at some point, it's funny. I, I was talking with someone the other day, and so much of what I what I look at on building a team is it goes back to the two thousands, and what they did there. You had two quality tackles. You had Tariq Glenn. And then on the right side, you had uh, Adam Meadows and then Ryan Dean. You had a Pro Bowl center that you signed off the street in Jeff Saturday. So let's, it's not like they used a draft pick on him. <laughs> right. And, boy, then they just played guards. They just I, – I hate to devalue the position, but they just played guards. Jake Scott, Rick DeMulling, uh, uh Ryan Lilja, on and on. And these guys are, and we'll, we'll talk about it in the next the next spot. Is is that they they hit a home run with Quentin Nelson at six overall, which again, I wouldn't take a, gra- a guard sixth overall, just wouldn't do it. But but when you do that, and then it comes time to pay him, they're already paying him his fifth year. Uh, the extension is thirteen and change. Mm-hmm. Because of Pro Bowls and or All Pro and all that, and it's going to cost you, I don't know, twenty two, twenty three million. He's not going to be the highest paid. He'll he'll be the highest paid guard. How close to being the highest paid lineman will he be? And when you have the highest paid, one of the highest paid centers, one of the highest paid right tackles, and and now one of the highest paid or the highest paid left tackle or left guard. Something's got to give, and like Joe said, and oh by the way, minimum ten million dollars on left tackle, and that's minimum. Mm-hmm. Something's got to give, and it's going to be right guard. It yep. just it has to be. Yep. So so you look at the Colts' position; they have two options. We kind of broke down uh, what their options are there. You move on, and offensive tackle Matt Pryor is another free agent this offseason. The Colts traded for him, as we just mentioned at the start of last year when uh, Sam Tevy went down with his injury um, and turned out to be a pretty good acquisition for the Colts. Uh, he appeared in all 17 games. He started five games at three different positions, three at right tackle, one at left tackle, one at right guard. 
Uh, Joe, you mentioned the depth that the Colts had this year that they didn't have the year before at offensive line. Matt Pryor, a big reason why, and he might be a guy that the Colts can project into the future as a left tackle if they want to try to develop him there. And that's probably where they will lean if indeed they sign a guy like Eric Fisher or someone for a one-year or $10 million deal. They might be saying, we'll patch you in here and maybe we'll try to develop prior, see what comes along. And then next offseason, we'll address the spot again. But I think Pryor showed a good deal of value for the Colts last year. And I think he will have a good deal of value for wherever he goes this year. And having a guy that is a swing player on like behind you behind your offensive line is not necessarily a starter but a guy you can plug in at either tackle a guy you can plug in at guard and say go play is is incredibly valuable and that's exactly what Matt Pryor brings to the Colts yeah I remember we were talking of several episodes ago about just Colts re-signing their own players and we all kind of agreed that Matt Pryor should be a priority for this team because of the value you could start him at left tackle right tackle guard wherever you need him to, and he's going to give you a solid performance. Maybe not outstanding. That's why he, you know he hasn't really been a regular starter until um, maybe 2022 season. But I think re-signing Matt Pryor would be huge. And I wouldn't absolutely hate it if the Colts went into the season with Matt Pryor at laugh tackle. It wouldn't be my number one. wouldn't be plan A. Or B, you'd or maybe be a little nervous C. about it, but you'd be excited to see what happens. I'd be I think. excited to see what happens. I don't think I'd be any more nervous than I was with the Colts going into this year with their defensive end situation. Um, just it'd be somewhat of a question mark, but we've seen him play solid football in the past. So I really hope the Colts bring back Matt Pryor. He, this is a guy that that is he, he, his desires are, a, are go contrary to what the team wants. The team wants a guy who can play three positions. He's probably a guy that wants to play one position to see what I can do. Right. And they've had guys. I go, you know, Joe Wrights. Mm-hmm. How many times did he save these guys because he could play? Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes in a game at different spots. And again, he started three different positions. That's what you've got to have a guy who, in a pinch, can not only play. You always have guys that can play. But, but there's not a huge drop-off. And Ideally, you'd love to have this guy be your interchangeable part that they've always that sometimes you don't have and you need. And I'm sure he'd say, you know, if I if you leave me at one spot, I could be really good somewhere. He's a big dude. He's like what is it, six seven, six eight? He's one of the few people who can look DeForest Buckner in the eye, you know. And uh, so that that Joe just kind of shows the uh, the, uh, the 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 big the massive nature of this guy. I mean, he's, he's built like a left tackle and not everybody is built like a left tackle. Matt Pryor is one. So that that's another thing that kind of just widens your eyes when you're looking at him saying, man, it, it could be that guy. Yeah. He's listed at six, seven, two thirty. So he's, he's a big fella. Uh, w- given the value we just kind of broke down there, what do you think he would, you know, demand for a contract at least three to 5 million per year? I'm thinking. I don't think that's ridiculous. Yeah, maybe two, two years, eight to ten million. Yeah, and guarantee mm-hmm. for I don't know. I mean, and the Colts are probably laughing at us when we throw these numbers out there. But, <laughs> but again, Ballard, he always he, he's always got that default of offensive line, defensive line. You need eight to nine to ten, mm-hmm. and you play in waves. Now you don't want you, you don't want to play in waves on your offensive line, but. They will do whatever it takes within reason and within budget to have nine or ten quality offensive linemen, and and I think he, this guy needs to be in the mix. So right now you figure they have their entire starting five on the offensive line, which includes one of either Glowinski or Chris Reed, the other four guys we know. 
So you think Matt Pryor's another one to make it six. Danny Pinner. Danny Pinner's another one to make it seven. Will Fries was a, Will was Fries a late was a pick, pick last was a, year. Was a seventh round pick last year is eight. So there's a couple spots that are open still if you want to keep going but for it's depth Feb- here. But it's February. It, so, exactly. So that's a good thing. Yes, it's a very good thing. Um, there are the two offensive linemen or offensive tackles that were on the Colts roster last year who are going to be free agents, Julian Davenport and Sam Tevy. They'll both be 27 by the start of next year. Davenport had four starts last season. Tevy tore his ACL in August at the end of the preseason. I don't see any need to bring back either of these two guys next year. Anybody no. disagree? No. I mean, maybe if you want to bring back Sevy Tevy for like a one-year deal just for depth to work him out in training camp. To see what you've got. Yeah. yeah. Just to see how he comes back. But yeah. I think you can get younger and certainly cheaper. And the Colts also gave some reserve future contracts to a trio of tackles, Carter O'Donnell, Jordan Murray, and uh, Sean Coleman. O'Donnell's been here two years? A couple years now, yeah, yeah as a, on a practice squad player. So I don't know if he, if he sees the, uh, the 53, if he finally makes the cut there. Uh, so we'll see. Um, one of those players, you know, that that's hung around that we don't know much about. And of course, I mean, with, with, with not having any access to, to locker rooms, we don't, we don't know everything about all the new Colts that have come in for the last two years anyway. So yeah, he just kind of falls. It still slays me that we never had one face to face with the Philip Rivers era. Yep. Not Not one. one. Yep. So, um, so yeah, uh, when you look at the, uh, Colts prospects for the offensive line in the draft. Again, the Horseshoes first pick, 47th overall. They traded their first pick away last year in the deal for Carson Wentz. So they first pick at 47 overall in the second round. Um, Joe, you make a note that, I mean, left tackle prospects typically go high. And even if you look at last year's draft, when uh, Chris Ballard was talking uh, about uh, what they were thinking sitting 17 last year between Quiddy Pay and Christian Darisaw were really the two players. Darisaw went to the Vikings and was their left tackle. But uh, the Colts were just were hemming and hawing internally, if you believe what Chris Ballard has to say, about whether Darisaw really was a legit left tackle prospect, or at least a first-round left tackle prospect. So those guys that are first-round caliber who are left tackle guys don't typically last to 17, much less it lasts to 47th overall in the second round. Yeah, we saw two go in the top 10 last year with uh, Slater and Sewell, and Slater had a terrific year for the Chargers. Um, this past season so uh, I did kind of a rough count and this is including you know players like Eric Fisher on the Colts who knew, who knows where he'll number one up. overall pick Eric Fisher that's out right. of Central Michigan back in the day uh, but roughly 20 of the NFL Central Michigan is that correct okay I it was either so, Central yeah. or Western I think I it was Central I think Michigan. it was too okay sorry to interrupt go ahead no you're fine uh, roughly 20 of the NFL's 32 starting last tackles last season were first round picks um, so that just goes to show that, A, they're hard to find, and B, if you do find them, you're going to have to take them early. Uh, there are a few notable left tackles who weren't taken in the first round. Uh, one of the best, Green Bay's David Bakhtiari, was taken in the fourth round, uh, so they really got a steal there. Uh, two free agents, or impending free agents, and two of the best left tackles as well, Teron Armstead and Orlando Brown Jr., both third-round picks. Uh, Buffalo's Dion Dawkins and the Rams' Andrew Whitworth were taken in the second round. So it is possible to find these guys outside the first round, but it's very difficult to do. There's a lot of luck involved. It'd be interesting, and maybe if I have enough time or interest, I'll do this, but to mirror edge pass rushers, is it, is it sort of the same, that you get the good ones in the, in the first round and you know, 22 of the top 32 were first-round picks and high first-round picks? Right. It's a prime position. That's 
that's that's the impact. You know, when you start prioritizing positions, quarterbacks one, and I'm telling you, left tackles. If it's not left tackle two, left tackle's three. Whether you want to flip a defense or an edge pass rusher, so that's why people take them early. That's why people don't let them generally hit the market. And when they do, you're going to pay. What Trent Williams get last year? Twenty three million a year, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, you know, and and Bakhtiari's twenty three million a year as well. So when you get him, that's why you, the Colts hated to see uh, Costanzo retire. He was your most valuable Colt every every time we brought up that discussion on this show. And, and primarily because I liked him, but but, but <laughs> he, he played well, and they never they seldom I hate to use the word never they seldom had an answer when he wasn't in. Mm-hmm. So it, when you get that guy, you keep him. So free agent left tackles this year. We mentioned a couple of them. Teron Armstead, Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, Armstead will be 31 by the start of the new year. He's made the Pro Bowl three times, 2018, 2019, 2020 in his career. Was second team All-Pro back in 2018. Orlando Brown will be 26 at the start of the new year. He's a guy we discussed a bit last year, Joe, and we were talking about possible left tackles for the Colts. Yeah, he's on the trade market. That's right. So Kansas City got him. Um, he's also a three-time Pro Bowler, 2019, 2020, 2021, so three years running now. He was a right tackle before in um, Baltimore, mm-hmm. and he wanted to be a left tackle because their uh, left tackle, Stanley, got injured. Or St- Stanley, got Ronnie Stanley. Yeah, he got injured. Yeah, and the Brown Browns moved over. Moved the over side, it, was, it was great. Do it, and he wanted that so, big payday, so he said. Who wouldn't? Yeah. I, like, you, yeah, absolutely. It's worked out for yeah, him. That's what you do. You go to Kansas City, you get paid for one year, and now he's a, he's a true free agent, and a pro football focus is projecting his contract to be a five-year deal, $21 million, which for a 26-year-old guy who's a franchise left tackle chap, that's what you're going to have to pay if you want to invest big money. If this is where the Colts go for big money, Orlando Brown is kind of the guy. It would be $100 million or close to a deal, 80 to $100 million, to sign a guy who is the best at what he does in this specific class. Boy, do they do that with all the other issues they've got? That's the thing. Like That's what we were discussing. Like, pouring all that resource, all those resources. Because that's going to limit what you can do with it. With a, I do think they sign a veteran edge pass rusher, not the top guy, but mm-hmm. Justin Houston type, right? The two year fix, and dog, you've got to find a receiver. Yeah, and all of a sudden, and by the way, Quentin's going to eat up an extra ten million of cap space. I real, I realize you can do funny things with the cap, and I think the owner's willing to pay to the hilt this year. But I just don't know that they go and pay premium bucks for a left tackle. I, I... And I'll just say, maybe Armstead hits open market. New Orleans seems to be in complete rebuilding mode. And they're but in awful I, shape cap-wise. Yeah, again. And, and they don't have the money to resign them. But I highly doubt that Kansas City is going to let Orlando Brown get away. They traded a first-round pick for him. They're trying to protect Patrick yeah. Mahomes. I doubt he hits the market. That And, and that needs to go, go and be said, yes. So... So if if he gets scooped up even before the NFL the new year begins, don't be surprised out there that uh, that Orlando Brown is not a name being kicked around on uh, on March 18th or 19th whenever free agency actually begins. Uh, after those two, uh, Dwayne Brown from Seattle, he'll be 37 years old at the start of next year, but was a Pro Bowler last year in 2021. Has uh, been to five Pro Bowls in his career, and uh, with with his age, you don't have to pay him as much. You don't have to give him as many years, chap. So if if you're optimistic about what he did last year, if you have a meeting with him in free agency that you kind of like him, 
if you really want to give Matt Pryor a year to develop behind him, if you draft a guy somewhere around two, three, and four, maybe a guy like Dwayne Brown is someone who is really intriguing since you don't have to pay the exact same resources you would have for one of the best guys. You give those resources to a receiver or an offensive lineman, I mean, or a um, defensive uh, lineman, and he can be the guy just for now. And you know it's just for now since he's 37 years old. And you get a guy who's a veteran presence on that offensive line as well. And we've talked, you know, maybe, you know, lowballing Eric Fisher at $10 million. Well, you know, the projection here is $10 million a year. Yep. yep. So, yeah, it, that, that's what they, they've got some, some difficult decisions to make. And one thing, like Joe mentioned, is what we have to see is who's going to hit the market. Because the, the list that we've talked about today and, and previously, you don't know who's going to be franchised, who's going to be resigned. Uh, and until then, so I think the Colts. I think what I just think what they have to do internally is they they sort of prioritize. This this is what we'd like to see happen. This is who we think is going to hit the market, and I just think they 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 know who they would like to have at positions, mm-hmm. and I just can't shake the feeling that that if the price is right and he's willing, that they bring Eric Fisher back. Yeah. Uh, Cam Robinson, another uh, possibility. Uh, Jacksonville's left tackle. He'll be twenty six at the start of next year was an early second-round pick back in 2017. Uh, his pass blocking grade to pro football focus has improved. It was his best of his career just last year. Uh, but his run blocking has not been good over his career. Uh, has really not been good at all in any year of his career. So, uh, so, so you take the good, you take the bad, I guess, with Ken Robinson. And, and Joe kind of alluding to what Chap was saying earlier. When teams get left tackles, they usually don't let them out of the building. So the guys who do hit free agency hit free agency for a reason. And Cam Robinson would be a guy, and Dwayne Brown, if it comes to that with his Especially age. Especially a young one. Yeah, exactly. wonder what's up. Yeah, would, would, it would definitely throw a red flag that you would have to investigate when you're really trying to sign a guy like this. And Robinson's someone that Jacksonville franchised last year. So they he was a guy who they weren't quite sure about. They brought him back for another year. They could franchise him again. Um, it's just a, like Mike said, a premium position. So Robinson might not, I mean, he's what, maybe average at best, but because he plays left tackle, he's someone that was worth a franchise tag, might be worth a franchise tag again. I, you know, personally three years, 11 million per year is what, uh, pro football focus is projecting at that cost. I'd rather sign a guy like Dwayne Brown, just a short term thing, but I don't love Cam Robinson, but he is an option. And maybe his most uh, enticing thing about him is his age. He's only 26, and he's shown improvement since he came into the league. A couple, Go ahead, go ahead, Chad. Yeah, what you mentioned is, is we, we keep harping on this. Pro Football Focus, which we use a lot for these projections, it ranked Fisher as its 58th best free agent. Mm-hmm. And even in the little write-up, it said he's this high because he's a left tackle. Yeah that if he wasn't a left tackle, he'd be quite a bit lower. So it's about position. And when you're a left tackle, it's kind of like when you're a left-handed pitcher. You, people pay more for you because they, the really good ones just aren't – there aren't enough of them. And for example, here, Dwayne Brown, they ranked 32nd, so considerably higher. Orlando Brown's their ninth-ranked free agent. And then Teron Armstead is uh, their second-ranked free agent. So that just kind of – just give a little context with that. Some other free agent options at left tackle include Joseph Notebloom from the Rams, Riley Reef from the Bengals, and Nate Soldier from the Giants. Um, there's some free agent guards as well, Joe, that you've listed. Brandon Sheriff, Lakin Tomlinson, Connor Williams, James Daniels, uh, Austin Corbett, Andrew Norwell, Alex Kappa. Um, I, I think all of us are pretty much in agreement, though, that 
Um, if the Colts do go outside of the building at guard, I don't think it's going to be for a starter at guard. I, I think well, I, I think the 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 likelihood is that it would be either Reed or uh, Glowinski that you would bring back yeah, for that maybe position, both. I, I or maybe both. Maybe do both. both. I don't. I don't know. Doing both would depend on what it takes you to get Glowinski back in the building. It's funny. He's a guy that you just sort of take for granted, and he's the one that hardly ever doesn't play. He had, he's probably played more snaps than anyone since he's been here. And again, I just I think he's I hate to use the word good enough because that that's just a backhanded compliment. But I think he's played at a, at a decent level, at a good level. And at some point, like we've talked about, something has to give, and it's going to be right guard. Um, agreed. Yeah, I don't. I, I would be very surprised if the Colts went outside the building for a starting right guard. Mm-hmm. When you look at the offensive line, we've talked about the offensive line of the Colts being the strength of this franchise for a couple years now. Um, and last year, it certainly went through some changes with uh, with the retirement of Costanzo um, and uh, and all that. So uh, if you look at pro football Focus's rankings of offensive lines, the Colts were only like 12th last year. You would expect something that you put in the resources that you have to be to be better than that. And I think when when you look at specifically uh, again those rankings that Chap said we allude to often, the, what what drag what dragged them down was pass blocking last year. They were like thirtieth and left tackle and left tackle specifically in pass blocking. Yes, completely correct. I think he gave, Fisher gave up was it six or seven sacks mm-hmm. and forty either pressures or hits. It's hard to get those straight. You can't have your left tackle giving up seven sacks. You just can't do it. it with with that with that position specifically, it's. I, a pressure from the left tackle or a sack from the left tackle just is is often more dangerous than sure than is. with the right tackle with a right-handed quarterback it just is so so that that's a position once again that you you add it to the list of stuff that was that was a problem last year that is a problem again now um that that they, you tr- they they're prefer, trying to solve again they would prefer we use the word issue as okay. opposed to problem well it's a procedure or a surgery <laughs> it's kind of the same thing right now the the, the issue they've created for themselves is they're they're primed to pay their left guard left tackle money. And that's why for the last year, year and a half, there's always been that, well, what about putting Quentin Nelson at left tackle? Right. Ballard shot that down. Very sour I mean, it it, it wasn't even like, you know, because I think when this first came out, they sort of, they didn't shoot it down. Mm Mm-hmm. They said, well, you know, if we had to, because he, he did play there, was it a couple snaps? For a couple snaps, yes. Against the Raiders or something a couple like years, years ago. two years ago, yes. But their whole thing, and, and that's kind of what I, where I'm at, is if just just because you're a great guard, and he's a great guard, doesn't mean you're going to be an above-average tackle. They, they're different positions. But the problem, the, the problem, there we go, the issue they've created is that they're going to pay their left guard, left tackle money, and that just the domino effect... It it, it 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 hinders you, so but that that's where they are again. When, when you draft well and you hit on guys, especially at the top of the draft, who are perennial All Pros, you got to pony up to keep them. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think this discussion just really goes to show the importance of hitting on your draft pick so that you can get premium production on someone on a rookie contract. That was our big argument for what's the Colts' biggest need next season. I think all of us said left tackle because of the money that was going to be tied up elsewhere along the offensive line. Now they're trying to figure out how to give, you know, at least 
10, 12 million, a lot more in some cases, to four of the five positions on the offensive line, which maybe Ballard's willing to do. He talks time and time again about how he prioritizes the trenches. But without having players, starters on rookie contracts, it makes it very, very difficult. So somewhere the Colts are going to have to find a rookie who can uh, give them a discount at a key position. Yeah, give give them production at a key position, that, too. That, that's why it was so convenient to have Andrew Luck yep. play so well for so long so early. Yep. Because it, he was on that rookie contract for a while. And, and, and again, then when the time comes that he's getting off that rookie contract like Nelson, and he's an aberration, too, because his fifth year is $13 million Yep. because of what he's done. So it comes time, and I was talking with someone out there, and I said, you guys are really going to pay Quentin Nelson. I said, by the way, you have to pay Quentin Nelson 20-plus. He said, we've planned on this. Mm-hmm. So this is because I've seen things now. Well, how about trading Quentin Nelson? You know, make me an offer, I guess. You know, you, you never say, can the Colts say they have no untouchable players? <sighs> is Jonathan Taylor untouchable? I think because he plays running back, he's not untouchable. I would he's say. touchable. Yeah, exactly. You know, now I need to, you know, chances are very well that I'm, I'm going to tell you no. Yeah. But make me an offer. Make me an offer for Quentin Nelson. To, to not listen is crazy. But whatever team gets him, they've got the, the task, unless they're going to move him to the left tackle, of playing a left guard, that kind of money. But when, when your position where the Colts are, when they're paying so many players, so many, six or seven players, top money to their position, Darius Leonard, uh, DeForest Buckner. Uh, Kenny Moore was, you know, he was the highest paid nickel highest corner. Paid nickel, yeah. Well, again, at some, at some point, you can't keep having, because the, the Colts had this back in the 2000s. They always had the highest paid left tackle, the highest paid center, the highest paid Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis and Ryan Deem and the quarterback. Well, what that did, it create it creates a top-heavy team. Well, when it's when those positions are the prime positions, quarterback, left tackle, Freeney at, left, at, at end, that's great. Mm-hmm. When they're not, it creates issues. And we'll kind of sift through the issues throughout this entire offseason, and you learn exactly how the Colts are going to address them one step at a time. You know, we're kind of getting to all these right now, you know, and, and breaking down all these different options, whether it includes draft or um, or free agent or in-house, bringing back guys. So, and not bringing, you know, the, the first domino to me will be Carson Wentz mm-hmm. when, when they topple that over, and they will. <laughs> They're just... It's on the list. I'm not saying that you, you've got a better chance of paying quarterback next year than, than Wentz does, but we're, we're close to that. But that that that's not going to impact anything that we've talked. It's not going to impact what they do at left tackle, at, at, at guard, at any positions. But there there will be things that they have to decide on. Eric Fisher might be – is he the first? I don't know. You've got to mm-hmm. figure out – you've got to prioritize the position and re-signing your own generally – is that first one? Will they, can they and Fisher come up with some kind of a workable deal moving forward? I don't know. Well, and I guess depending on what their plan is at quarterback, may or may not open up. It may open up cap space. It might, you know, shrink the cap space. If 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 they're able to find a trading partner, they walk away, and all of a sudden they've got an extra I don't know twenty eight million dollars, mm-hmm. and maybe more another draft pick, perhaps. Not not a one. But, I, I doubt a high right, draft, right. but but, but if mean, you cut him, you 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 eat to fifteen, but you gain another thirteen million. Well, thirteen million is a left tackle. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. There you go. So, so th- again, th- these guys, these guys aren't sitting out there playing euchre. Th- they, they've got plan A, B, M. Oh, you know, they, they've got all this planned, and the off season will unfold at their pace, and not at the pace that we wish. Well, the pace next week will bring us to the NFL Combine, as we mentioned earlier, as the uh, as Lucas Oil Stadium welcomes in all thirty two NFL teams, three hundred and fifty prospects for interviews, for medical, for workouts, uh, the whole shebang, the most important uh, job interview in it, all it, these it, young it, men's it's, lives. It's the second, I believe, the second most credentialed event on the NFL calendar behind the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Because mm-hmm. people like Joe, uh, they love it. They love oh, themselves yeah. some combines. <laughs> so we're, we're, we'll, we'll definitely bring you plenty of combine. I won't, I won't watch 20 minutes of work here. I just won't. I just, <laughs> we'll still bring you plenty of combine news next week, folks. I will watch folks. more Don't of worry. the Pro Bowl, which I watched almost none. Than I will of the workouts. I, know. I didn't watch a minute of the Pro Bowl, but I, I think That's the sick. workouts are from 3 to 7. So, you know, yeah. just put them on in the background somewhere while mm-hmm. I go. I didn't like, I think last year they're at like 8 p.m. or something like that. That's a little too... I'm not going to sit down and only watch the workouts, but I'll have it on in the background. I mean, would that guy run? Oh. Yeah, you like it on his noise there as you're doing work, and That's you're kind right. of half That's paying right. attention to that, half paying attention to uh, to the job. I would rather watch re- reruns of Law & Order <laughs> dunk, dunk. than I would work out stuff, but that's just... Just you. you can follow us throughout the week at Colts Blue Zone on Twitter for Colts updates. Uh, Joe is at Roto Street Joe. Mike is at mchapel 51 I am at Dave G underscore sports. We do appreciate you listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We encourage you to subscribe, get us delivered to your podcast listening device as soon as we drop every week throughout the offseason. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.